Amen. In the throne room, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a dad of two young ones, and, and uh, how many read Dr. Seuss growing up, right? I think y'all should all raise your hands, I hope. But, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss is famous for creating these books. I wanted to bring one uh, this morning, but uh, these books about who's it's and what's it's, and, and you could make up a word, schnickel, whatever. I mean, he can, he, I don't know where he comes up or came up with all that stuff, but he is famous for creating worlds that don't even exist and creating names and whovilles and, and all these uh, things. And that's one of the, my family always watches the, uh, the Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That's my wife's, one of my wife's favorite Christmas uh, movies. It's a book we read and we watch the old one and the new one. You know, you just can't top the old one, you know, in my opinion. And so they make up a thing for the turkey and all the bells and the trumpets. And you, you watch, you're like, that, that thing, that trumpet, it's going like this, and it's going through something else. There's no way that would work. But there's something about creating that world. And it's, it's unique, it's interesting to think about creatures never before seen or heard that coming out of the, the mind of this man in a world of who's. So we're going to do something this morning. I want you to think. We're going to go back into the Whoville side. I want you to do a little illustration. I want you to think. All right, the kids are in the services. I want the kids to think. Let's think of an object or a creature never before made. All right, we're going to get into our, uh, put our creative thinking hats on. All right, so you just hold it in your mind. If you want to close your eyes, you can. But I want you to think about an animal or a creature or an object that has never been made. An instrument or a broom that does your whole house and you don't have to do anything. But what shape is it? All right, kind of get it in your mind. What color? All right, pick a color out. Is it big? Is it small? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it rough? Is it hairy? All right, kind of put it in your, put it in your mind there. Give you a second. Just kind of build it in your head. Figure out what it is. Okay. Now what are you going to name it? Think of a name. Now what you going to call it, right? Think of a name. All right. Now you've created it. Okay, now come back here. Now where is it? Where is that thing? Well, you say, well, it's, it's, it doesn't exist. It's only there in your mind. But, but where is it? Where is that thing? It's not here. It's somewhere out there. It hasn't, it's, it's real in your mind, but maybe not real in this place that, that we live. But you can see it. And it's in some other place outside the realm of this existent, this, this place that you and I are. It's there. It's in your mind. And, and many movies and books and TV shows all come from that place, right? It's a wonder how some of these guys in Hollywood can bring this whole other world. If you're a Star Wars person or a, or a Harry Potter person or a, a Lord of the Rings person, there's like these whole worlds within worlds and there's these conferences and they got stories behind stories and languages. And, and you go into these places and these Comic Cons and the, all these places where they have these conferences, they got books within books and layers within layers. A whole universe, the Star Wars universe. I mean, if you go to Disney, there's a whole world. You can walk into Disney World. Star Wars, and, and that came from George Lucas' mind, someplace. And it just grew and grew and grew. Now, that you have that place inside of you. Many of those things can exist there and come alive. And that's something that has not been created yet. And in some small way, you can kind of understand a God that has never been created. God has never, was ever created. 
He is from another place, an exalted place beyond the realm of imagination. He is in a world that you and I can only barely imagine. And we exist for Him. You see, you are the whatchamacallits. And you and I are the who's. We are existing from Him. We are the book. We are the movie. We are the thing that came from Him. We are the creation. He is the creator. And He's out there and utterly He's lofty, exalted. He's from a realm that you and I know not of. And we can only faintly imagine. But God in His infinite love and mercy has come and revealed Himself to us in our little Whoville that we call Gina, Louisiana, or the United States, or Earth. And He sent an ambassador of himself, the begotten one, Jesus Christ, God from God, who became fully man and walked among us in our Whoville to try to explain to us who God really is and how much he wants you to know him. God is not from here, but he's come here. He's from a higher place, a place where space and time don't exist, and He's created this world, and we are His creation. You see, uh, Jesus was fully God and, and fully man, but sometimes I think we've humanized Him too much. And what do I mean by that? We've made the Creator a lot like the creation. We have a low view of God, and we can forget how, how truly awesome God is. We can forget who He really is and who we really are. We forget His majesty. We forget His holiness. We forget His awe. We, we get so common uh, with knowing this story that we get easily entangled in sin, Hebrews says. We can, we can have a low view of God, and that low view of God can lead us to not think so uh, big about sin. We don't, we don't look at Him and with this holiness and this awe. We, we entangle ourselves so much with worldly affairs. We think about temporary things and temporal things, and we kind of lose the majesty and awe of this other place. And we forget... With a low view of God, we forget that we are the created and He is the creator. And we fail to live according to our true purpose. And if we have a low view of God, we can even do this. We can weaken the love, the humility, and the death of Jesus Christ when we forget how low He had to go to come here. You see, if God is not very high, He didn't have to come very far to come down here. But the higher you lift God up, the further you realize Jesus had to come to die for you. The further you lift God up, however great your view of God, your view of Jesus on the cross will be that much greater. That's the one thing I want you to get today. However great your view of God is going to make your view of Jesus on the cross that much greater. You see, it wasn't just a man that died for you on that cross. It was God, highly exalted and lifted up. Look with me in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. I want to talk to you about two things, just the throne and the throne room. 
And first is this, is the throne. Have you ever seen a throne? None of us have probably ever actually seen a real throne, maybe just in books or in stories or in school. And a throne is this chair, and you know what it is. It's a chair. It's a seat of a sovereign power like a king. It's where they sit. And that throne represents the justice and the, the dominion of that king or queen. It, it represents the authority, the royal authority, dominion, and power. And if you were to say they were sitting on a throne or seated on a throne, it meant that they had been endued with power to do the office of that throne, what that throne represented. If someone sits, only the king, you know this, if you were someone else to sit on that throne and you were not the king or queen, you would be killed because you are unworthy to sit on that chair. To sit on that chair means you are worthy for the office to which that chair represents. No one else can sit on the Queen of England's chair. I guess they'll probably go to jail for the rest of their life. I don't know how that works. Uh, but they, there's only one person worthy to sit on her chair because that's her seat of power. It represents her authority, her dominion over England, all right? And thrones, if you go back in the ancient world, thrones were elevated, all right? An elevation. So they had steps sometimes leading up to them. And, and if you uh, know about ancient history, King Solomon from the Bible, he had one of the grandest thrones ever made. The Bible talks a little bit about it. And even ancient historians have uh, dug up things to talk about Solomon's throne. Uh, one uh, one's, uh, commentary says that it was the greatest throne of the ancient world. In fact, it was, it was made of wood and ivory. It was overlaid with gold. It had some of the most intricate engravings and carvings on it. It was huge. It had six steps to go up to it, just to get on it. I'm not talking little steps. I'm talking big steps. And on each side of the step had a lion, a stone lion. So there was 12 lions, 12, right? 12 lions leading up to sit on this. And the greater and more grand the throne, the greater the office or the royal privilege and exaltation of that king, and the greater the foundation, the platform to get up to it, the higher the throne, the grander the king. Now, King Solomon, he was all about riches, right? He, he was a rich man, okay? And so he had a six-step throne to get up there, the greatest ever made in his time. And even the ancient world... The pagans of ancient world, they even thought that their gods were enthroned in the constellations. And they looked up to the heavens, they bowed down to the sun, they bowed down to the moon, they bowed down to the stars and worshipped because they thought their gods were the constellations. That's why you have the constellations that we have today. But the Bible says that the earth and the heavens, listen to me, are but the footstool to get to God's throne. They're just the footstool, the foundation of the earth, the sky above us. Even the constellations in the sky are just the steps leading up to the exaltation of this God. Let's look at this. I'll give you a picture of it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. The apostle John, like Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel before him, is taken up into this vision by the Holy Spirit, and he sees the throne room of God. And look at what he sees. Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, which was the voice of Jesus, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here. That's very important. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne. And it was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne 
And he was sitting was like jasper stone and sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. So big that there was on the steps to get up to this throne was 24 other thrones. And upon the throne, 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and clothed with golden crowns on their head. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And the center and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, in, in a bedtime routine at my house, we sing Jesus Loves Me This I Know with Adley right here on the front. And we also sing I Can't Leave the Room unless we sing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. Now, when I read something like this, it kind of puts that a little bit in a different perspective. He's got the whole world's, the whole world's in His hands. Now, we just did a little creative thing just beginning. Let's do another one. So I have pieced together Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and John, I want to paint a visual picture. And then I want you to know, we're going to do two things. I'm just going to tell you what it is. We're going to take a visual picture of going there, and I'm going to tell you also what it feels like to be there. Are you ready? Okay, put your thinking caps back on. Now let's imagine a throne, okay? We're going to start from below and going to go up. All right, so beneath the throne, okay, put your, if you want to close your eyes, you can do that or just kind of get there in that place. But beneath the throne, you're going to see something sparkling like crystal. It's going to be a plane of glass, and it's going to be as large as a sea. If you've been to the ocean, you know how far out the ocean goes, and we can't see anything but the sunset. He said it's like a sea. As far as you could see was this clear glass like crystal. And Daniel said that that glass looked as if it was flowing like a river of fire. And there was a glowing crystal sea like fire. And beneath it, holding it up, were four enormous fiery creatures, like men. And they had but calves' feet, and each had four faces of a lion on one side, a man on the front, and um, a calf on one side, and an eagle on the back. And they had six wings, and those six wings were covered front and back with eyes. And two of them were flying, one, and they were touching each other of the four creatures. And four of the wings, two covered the face and two covered their bodies. And every time their wings flapped together, it was thunderous, like the sound of mighty waters or an army uh, marching in battle every time they flapped. And he says, and their faces never turned as they moved. They were moving in unity with the Holy Spirit. And every time they moved, they darted like lightning. And in the middle of these four creatures, underneath the sea of glass, underneath the throne, were coals of fire as the altar of God. And the coals of fire were darting back and forth, and each time they darted, they moved like lightning, and lightning flashed from the coals. And beside and below the creatures were four sparkling large wheels, rimmed with eyes, and that touched from the heavens down to the earth. That's how large you're looking at this throne. And they even appeared to be overlapping with one another, moving with the creatures. And these four living creatures continued to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. And they also sang, The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, holy means that He is otherly. He is not like anything else. He's morally pure and perfect. All right, and that's beneath it. Now, let's go around the throne. 
Now around the throne are 24 thrones and 24 elders. They got white robes and gold crowns and they continually are bowing down. And at the right hand of him are on the throne. Between the elders is a lampstand, like a large menorah, if you've been seen a Jewish menorah. And it's seven lamped lampstand. And there's seven, not flames, but seven stars are lit on this lampstand. And they represent the church, the spirit-filled church. And between the throne and between the elders and near the lampstand was a lamb. And the lamb was standing and it had seven horns and seven eyes, but it was as slain. And as the elders are there with harps and golden bowls of incense, which represents prayer of the church, they continue to bow down. And John looked and he saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels, heavenly hosts. And they were all bowing down, worshiping the lamb and him who is on the throne. A.W. Tozer says true worship is adoration, it's exaltation, and it's fascination with God. And he says, from the throne were shakings and smoke and lightning and thunder. And Ezekiel said it's as if the whole throne was coming out of a great thundercloud and burning with fire and lightning and smoke all around. And all he could see is on that throne was one glowing like the amber of hot metal was coming from this throne. And Isaiah even said, from that throne, the train of, the, of his robe was filling that whole place, the temple. And he, Ezekiel says, and that throne appeared to be some kind of translucent blue. Undescribable. And on that throne was seated. Somebody say, seated. He was seated. He was seated. Remember what I told you what seated means? He alone is worthy to plea on the place of that thing. No one else can sit there but him. He was seated. And the Bible says he was lofty and exalted, high up. And John saw him a little closer. He was the image of a man as Jesus. And he said he was glowing like dark red, like a sparkling ruby. And he had a golden sash on him and he had a robe of white. And it said fire, Ezekiel said, came from around him and from within him fire was just coming out. And Isaiah said the robe would cover his feet, uh, John said, but it shined out like a glowing bronze. And he said his face, his face was shining as bright as the sun. You couldn't even look at it, but he could see his hair was as white as wool. His eyes were a different type of fire, another flame of fire. And from his mouth came the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. And when he spoke, said his voice echoed like a trumpet. And it was the sound of thunderous, mighty waterfalls. Have you ever been to Niagara Falls or a big waterfall? You know how deafening loud it is? Is that if you don't like loud noises, you're not going to like heaven so much. Because when God speaks, the whole foundations of this place shook. Now, can you imagine all this? You got it in your head? You kind of have an idea? Now, I want you to think about something. Here's an honest question. Where were you? From what position were you looking? Be sure you were down below and he was highly exalted. Be sure you have a position of looking up. Be sure you have a position of looking up. Why does this matter? Because each man who saw this fell down as if dead. Fell down as if dead when he saw this. and had a vision of who God really was. And why does this matter? Because however great your view of God your view of Jesus on the cross will be that much greater. You know, I want you to think about this because it's as though, although the Bible says he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
But he emptied himself, took the form of a slave, being made in appearance and likeness of a man. And as an appearance of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus left that place. And he came down the steps of the stars. He came down the steps of the galaxies. He went past Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars. He got through the heavens of earth. He went down and he came down to a dirty, dusty place called Bethlehem where there was no reputation. No one even knew he was there. He came to some humble shepherds and he came through a little girl named Mary and he was born in a dirty, dusty animal trough for you and for me. And however high your view of God, that's how great and how high your view of Jesus coming to earth to die for you will be. You see, you have to see him high and lifted up. You have to see him as holy and exalted and otherly so that you can be fascinated with him, that you can adore him and exalt him. And so how do you see God? A throne of majesty and power, supreme ruler of all creation. But let me tell you something. That throne of dominion and power, thank God, it became a throne of grace. That's why Hebrews can say, his throne is also a throne of grace. How can you come up here? The Bible says, he said to John, come up here. Well, how can I come up here? Let me tell you about the throne room. How can you come up here? The throne room is this formal audience room. It's, a, it's an inner court and because this throne became a throne of grace through Jesus making himself low, you and I could gain access into an inner court. Listen to me. In the inner courts of a kingdom, only certain people at certain times were allowed in. You had to actually have a certain dress. You remember the story of Esther? And Queen Esther wants to get to the king and make, make intercession for her people. But the Bible says she had to put on a certain garb, a royal garb, and she actually came to the door of the outer court and she peered in. And, it, and she did this on fear of death because she wasn't invited. You had to be invited into the inner court. And he lifted out his scepter towards her and it allowed her access into the inner court to where he could speak with her. And the Bible says that Jesus said to John in that verse, come up here. Come up here into the inner courts. We sing a song that take me past the outer courts into the holy place, past the sanctuary. In the temple, there was the outer courts, there was the holies, and there was the holy of holies, the inner courts, because the Bible says that God is enthroned upon the cherub. In the temple, in the tabernacle, that was a symbol of the throne and the throne room of God. And there was a veil between it, and the veil separated them from going into the throne. You see, the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of his throne. You see those four living creatures are holding up, holding up the presence of God. And on the Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen Indiana Jones, there's angels on top of the Ark. And above the Ark is where God's Spirit would come. And he was enthroned on the cherubim. And that was his throne room. And only the high priest could come one time a year into the throne room, into the inner courts, to make intercession for the rest of the people. And the Bible says that Jesus, who had access, the lamb who was slain, who was there before, right before the presence of God, came out of the throne room and went to a dirty earth, and he died for a dirty, dusty man. And he came back to the courts, and he again sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he made intercession. And now he can come to you and to me, and he can say, come up here. 
The Bible says the veil was torn. And Hebrews says, because of this, because of this, you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help at a time. You see, for many people, this throne is a throne of judgment. For those who are in Jesus Christ, this throne is a throne of grace. And God can say to you, to anyone who comes through his son, come up here. You and I have access. The lamb has made a way. Our debt's been paid. The veil's torn. And John said, he bowed and fell as dead. And he said he came and he touched him with his right hand. How many people can say God has touched you? That Jesus Christ has touched your life. He's made a difference and impact in your life. And have you ever thought that heaven sounds boring? You think, man, my gosh, why do these people just sing, holy, holy, they never cease to say, holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. Don't you just want to go up to heaven and, and get in a fishing boat with old grandpappy and troll that crystal sea and catch some good bass and I hope they have a full wheeler and a deer stand up there and man, wouldn't it be great to watch a movie now and again? And, and we have such a low view, such a low view of God. And why do these beings never cease to worship? You think, well, wouldn't that be boring? You see, worship means to bow down low and declare the worth and the value of an object, to declare the worship. They worship him. They declare the value of him. And why is it valuable? You see, glory, the word glory means weight of importance. And I said it earlier in our service that, that it's like gold. There's a gold has a weight, and the value of the gold is according to the weight of the gold. The heavier the gold, if you have a bar of gold, the heavier the weight of it, the more valuable that gold will be. And they say to receive all glory, to receive all value, to receive all weight of importance. And what they're doing is they're saying that the glory of the Lord that fills the temple is the most precious and valuable thing ever created. The most precious and valuable thing you and I could ever touch or have access into, that his glory has been freely given and that's his presence, that Jesus died to give you access into the presence of God. And if Jesus' death on the cross is the price tag for the presence of God, how many know it's the most valuable thing in existence today? that it's his value, that his value is equal to the weight of the death of Jesus Christ. And if I have a low view of God, I've lowered the weight of not only the death of Jesus, but I've lowered the value of the presence of God. Because unless you see God high and lifted up and exalted above all things, that he's the most valuable thing ever in the history of all things, that it's just God. And these beings, they come to this place and they see it and they realize this is what I was created for. This is what I was created for. There's no movies that replace the presence of God. There's no entertainment. There's no hobbies. There's no relationships. At the presence of God, all fame and reputation, it fades away. All accolades, all degrees, all accomplishments, what people say about you, it all fades away because when you get access into the presence of God, it is the most valuable thing to have purchased for you. And that's through Jesus. Maybe you've never experienced that before. You see, because God is holy, I've got nothing of value to give to him. Even the elders which they give, they, the crowns they lay down were only given to them by God. You see, worship is not what you can give so much as it's your response. 
to a worthy God. I'll say that again. Worship is not what you give so much as your response to a God who's already worthy. You think, oh, I'm just going to give him some worship. You know, he's already up there high exalted. You're not making him higher. He's as high as it can get. What you're doing is coming back into right relationship with your creator. It's not about the creator. Worship is really about the creation. It's really me coming back in line and becoming the thing I was created to be. You see, there are beings in this throne room and they were created to worship. And here's the, the good news is this. You were created to be in that place. Adam and Eve had fellowship with God and because of sin, they fell from grace. They lost access into the throne room. And it would be Jesus, the lamb who was slain, would provide mankind access once again back into that place. You see, the reason you're not happy in your marriage, the reason you're not happy with your finances, the reason you care what other people think about you, the reason you want more vacations and no vacation ever is going to make, make a difference, and it seems you just go have to go from vacation to vacation to, to day off to day off, if I can just get some TV time, if I can just stop caring about this thing in my family. You, we wear out, and we go from thing to thing to thing to try to fill us. You know why? It's because the thing you are ultimately made for is to be in His presence. The thing you were ultimately made to do, the, you are a broke, we are a broken creation. And we're never more right with our creator than we're in worship of him. You see, worship does not put him in a higher place. It puts us in a right place. Worship does not put him in a higher place. It puts us in the right place. Let me close with this. You see, maybe you, now we've kind of had a picture of him. And let me tell you, you've seen it. Now, what does it feel like? I don't know how to describe to someone who's never really experienced the presence of God. I tried to write it down, and I was like, that doesn't even compare to what I've experienced in my life. I've had moments in my life where... Uh, whether being alone in a sanctuary and God just taking me to a place I don't know how to describe, or moments where I'll be on my lawnmower and a song will come on and just hits something right here. You just begin to weep and to cry and you feel like, my gosh, I want to be there. There are moments where you'll go to worship days, like we just went to a pastor's conference and, and you fill the, the room full of believers who just want to get to that secret place with God. And I can't tell you the energy. I can't tell you the feeling. I can't describe to you the place of belonging that so much so that Pastor Christian and I, myself were leaving that conference just this week and we didn't want to come home. That's how good it was, just to be in his presence. And in his presence, there's no titles, degrees, or accomplishments. There's a total release of self. There's a place where you surrender control. It's total submission. It's a place where you allow yourself to be fully known. It's a fearful place because that's where pride goes to die. Where you give up self and strife and trying. Yet because of his love and mercy, once you get past the fear, you find the love and the mercy. 
And when you get past that place, there's an overwhelming warm sense of peace. There's a nearness you'll feel there. There's a weeping of acceptance of how could a God accept someone like me? And who am I that he would love me? And beyond that place, there's a laughter and a living joy that's indescribable, a fullness. It's a confident victory over all your past and shame and regrets. It's in His presence there comes a rush of divine, mighty power, a boldness, a zeal for His Word, and a passion for His will. And see, in those four living creatures and angels and elders, they're in the fullness of it. So captivated by it that everything else seems meaningless. They're never bored. They're never tired, never wear out. And every time they look at him, they get a bigger picture of who God is. He satisfies all the need. You think, well, don't they need to take a time off for a bathroom break? <laughs> don't they need to go take a rest? You see, no, no, no. His presence energizes you. His presence fulfills you. You don't want anything else but his presence because that's what you were created to be full of. That's what you were created to do. That's what you were created to be is a worshiper. And there's nothing less there's nothing less. Everything that we are is to be worshipers. And there's a day coming, listen to me, there's a day coming where you and I are going to stand before the throne and we're never going to hunger, we're never going to thirst, you're never going to feel pain, you're never going to experience death. It says the Lamb is going to shepherd you to springs of life and it's the springs of life that Ezekiel saw and they go from deep to deep to deep and they are rushing and they are mighty and they are overflowing and it's a river that never runs dry and it goes from life life to life to life and we'll be with him for all eternity and he says he will wipe every tear from your eye and we'll rejoice with the lamb and he says behold I'll make all things new and there'll never be more pain nor sorrow all those formal things will wipe away and it'll just be the presence of God that's where you're going church that's what you were made for that's what this thing is all about that's what this whole thing is about is to get you back up there to the throne room. And here's the good news. Because Jesus came down here, and if you can be in your living room today, you have access into the throne room. You can be in your living room, church, and have access into the throne room. You can go outside in the middle of the night and you can take those steps up through the sky, past the moon, through the constellations, past Mercury, Mars, Venus, Jupiter. You can go right up to your father and say, man, I'm coming to the throne of grace now. For I have the boldness I have can come and I find confidence because I have a helper in a time of need. Man, there's no creature in creation that can do that. Man, all the angels are looking at us and saying, guys, you are the worshipers of the king. He's purchased you with his own blood. He came down through that place. He walked down heaven's footsteps. He died on that cross for you. He made access for you that you can go past that outer court into the throne room. My gosh, that's what you are made for. To be in his presence. You are made to live to an audience of one. You are made to live to an audience of one. You see, when Esther came into that place, she said, I've got the right robes on. All I need is permission to get access. And he stretched his right hand, and she came in. 
and she had intimate communion with the king. And to Isaiah, Isaiah who fell as dead, he took the coal from that altar underneath those, between those cherubs, those flashing lightning coals. He touched it to his lips. He says, you've been made clean. To a John who fell down as dead before him, Jesus came down and he touched him with his right hand and said, come up here. You see, I don't care what you've done, what you've been through, what you've done. It doesn't, Jesus has made access because it's a throne of grace. He's given you permission by his, but it's not about how good you are. It's not about what you've done. You, you and I could never earn it. You could never get there to that place on your own, but because of him, because of how far he came down and how great his mercy is towards us, towards those who believe, you can have access. You can have your sin washed away. You can have him touch your life. You can have him a personal escort from Jesus, the Holy Spirit, right into the presence of God. Because you are made for an audience of one. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Worship team, would you come? However great your view of God is, your view of Jesus on the cross will be that much greater. You are made to worship. You are made for an audience of one. And you can worship in your living room, but you have access into the throne room. The Bible says... Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Where are you at today? You want to go to that place to live each and every day to an audience of one? That no matter where you go, you can take the throne room with you. The Bible says that you have become temples of the Holy Spirit, dwelling places of God. You are the temples. You are the... He's made the access through you into your hearts. The Holy Spirit is now dwelling.